Hello and welcome to In Safe Hands, an instructional podcast brought to you by the Victorian Building Authority. I'm your host, Andy Belairs. This is the final episode of a three-part series showcasing some of the highlights of the 2021 VBA Surveyors Conference. In the previous episodes, we heard from Risk Management Specialist Michael McLennan on how to best manage risk in a project, and Professor George Zelanti on the roles and accountabilities involved in a building project. You can catch up with the episodes featuring Professor Zelanti and Michael McLennan in the podcast feed, or for a full recap of their video presentations, head to the VBA website. That's vba.vic.gov.au, where you can find all the presentations made to the 2021 conference including the presentation featured in this episode of In Safe Hands. Peter Shergold is the Chancellor of Western Sydney University and a former senior public servant who served as Secretary of the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet under John Howard. In 2017, he and Bronwyn Weir were appointed by the Building Minister's Forum to examine compliance and enforcement problems within the construction industry. Their report, Building Confidence, was delivered in 2018 and has been seen as a damning assessment of public confidence in the building and construction sector. In his keynote address to the 2021 VBA Building Surveyors Conference, Peter Shergold discusses the Building Confidence Report and how we can rebuild the trust of the public in the building process. Here's Peter. Although I hadn't anticipated this at the start, one of the most worthwhile experiences of my working life was getting the opportunity to work on a review of the National Construction Code or the implementation of that code. And that was the report that was commissioned by the Building Ministers Forum in August of 2017 and was delivered to the ministers the following year. Now, I've been approached by the Commonwealth Minister, Craig Laundy, on behalf of his colleagues to see if I would be willing to lead the inquiry. And truthfully, I wasn't sure whether I would agree. I had had a long experience in the Australian public service, including as Secretary of Education and of Employment and then latterly of Prime Minister and Cabinet. I had been blooded, actually bloodied, in contentious Commonwealth state relations in really tough areas like vocational education and health and industrial relations, but I knew relatively little of construction or building. I could bring experience of public administration and politics at a senior level, but I had little knowledge of the construction industry. And so I only agreed when the minister assured me that I could co-chair the inquiry with someone who was an expert in the construction industry and who would bring a highly informed legal perspective. And that person was, of course, Bronwyn Weir. And it was working with Bronwyn, which turned what was a demanding chore into a pleasurable experience. Now, we undertook that inquiry, I have to say, with minimal secretariat support, a couple of people. And so our report really is our report. It's not a public service report to which we put our names. I learned so much from Bronwyn on the complexities of building regulation, and I hope she benefited from my rather hard-nosed experience of how to write a pithy and non-technical and succinct report with 24 clear recommendations, a report that would gain media attention when it was publicly released, a report which was fully informed 
by the wide range of experts we talk to and who in the future might advocate on behalf of the report's findings, like, for example, the VBA, a report which might influence political decision-making and not just be quietly noted and filed away by ministers and the bureaucrats who serve them. And so that's the genesis of our report, Building Confidence. And I am pleased that that report is continuing to influence debate and action, albeit in some states more than others. And this impact is being created, though, only with the support and the advocacy of key stakeholder organisations. And of course, that's especially when buildings actually start falling apart, thanks to also intense media scrutiny, which in summary is why I'm so pleased to participate in this important building surveyors conference. And I know you've already discussed both the building confidence and report and the Victoria Building System Review. So with all that in mind, I thought I'd try and offer something different, a broader understanding of the challenges of regulation. So how do governments govern? Well, they set policy directions. Hopefully, after collective decision and discussion at Cabinet, and if we're fortunate, after frank and fearless confidential advice has been considered, that's being delivered by their public service experts. And then those policy directions are often delivered by governments through programs or through services or through financial payments or subsidies. And of course, they are funded by revenue collection from taxpayers. But public policy is also delivered through regulations. Indeed, regulations usually set out in parliamentary legislation intrude, seen or often unseen, on every aspect of our lives as citizens. Whether it's when we're seeking to enter Australia or working or setting up a business or running a company or paying our tax or sending our children to school or even participating in a political protest or even when we're dying, much of our lives is to some extent regulated for better or for worse by the long arm of government. Now, of course, there is a growing public sentiment that in general, in liberal democracies like Australia, there is now too much regulation. There's a growing mood that we're becoming a litigious society, a nanny state subject to bureaucratic overreach. There's a sense, I think, in many quarters that government intervenes too much in our lives. Indeed, not here in Australia, but if you look at the United States, if you look at European countries, those sort of views have often underpinned the popular protests that are now taking place against the regulatory interventions of government to address the spread of pandemic. Now, over the last 20 years, governments, state and commonwealth of different political persuasions and different enthusiasm have talked of reducing red tape. They've talked of lessening the time that citizens have to spend transacting business with government. They talked about nudging citizens towards pro-social behaviours rather than depending on legislation and regulation to control how they act. And this approach to 
regulating has been seen in the building sector. Let me give you a couple of obvious examples. One, the move in all jurisdictions to varying extents to enable the building sector to self-regulate. Most obviously, in the last 25 years, with private building surveyors being given increasing authority in all jurisdictions to certify those aspects of construction that require approval. The second example is the desire to promote the use of innovative design, new products being used in different ways, most obviously by allowing certifiers not to simply follow a highly prescriptive black and white rule book, but to instigate a performance-based approach, which allows a variety of solutions to satisfy the National Construction Code. But here's the challenge, and it's a challenge which is in part political and part societal. Most people tend to prefer non-intrusive government interference with their lives until a crisis occurs, until a plane or a train crashes or a pandemic breaks out or a bushfire rages out of control or a company rips off its customers or exploits its workers or a drunken driver on bail kills innocent children, at which point the community's natural response, which is picked up by the media, is how could government allow this to happen? Why didn't government prevent this happening? And so in building, designers and architects and builders, developers, in general, don't want restrictive legislation that imposes on them unnecessary costs. Owners and tenants don't want the imposition of red tape that requires additional effort. Governments would generally prefer to let commercial and residential housing market operate unhindered, relatively unhindered at least, under light touch regulation. All of them until the moment that people are burnt to death because of the use of flammable cladding, or at the moment at which people lose their investments and their homes, and indeed their lives, because buildings crack or leak or collapse. That's the moment, of course, when governments find that public trust has become undermined, because the cry is, why didn't government act in the public interest to protect us? Now, when those moments of public outrage occur, the initial assumption is often that governments had failed to give themselves sufficient legislative authority to act. But in truth, it is equally likely that the failure is because the legislation on the statute books has not been properly enforced. This is the case in the construction industry. Of course, we both believe that there is value in continuing to pursue improvements and enhancement to the National Construction Code to ensure that the code is up to date with contemporary building practice. I note that the three volumes of the National Construction Code set out a dense plethora of technical design and construction requirements, which were intended to ensure the upholding of Australia's building standards, including for plumbing and drainage. And I recognise that those regulatory standards have been since then further developed and modified and formally amended 
by the Australian Building Codes Board and adopted by the states and territories in the middle of last year. And that's great. But the heart of the problem remains that the National Construction Code is adopted by each jurisdiction under its own building legislation and is implemented independently by each state and territory in its own way, although theoretically in a harmonious manner, partly as a result, and it varies from state to state and territory to state, the code has simply not been adequately enforced. And here is my key message, the success of a regulatory code, the success of the National Construction Code, needs to be judged not just by how carefully it's drafted or what its good intentions are, but by the manner in which it is implemented. People need to have confidence that what is said is done, that what is promised is delivered. The public needs to be assured that the regulatory authorities have the political and financial support of government to intervene to ensure that standards are met and maintained. How? Well, I would identify four key elements that underpin the 24 recommendations that, as a package, hoped would bring much needed reform to the sector. Number one, transparency. More than a century ago, in 1913, the great American jurist, Louis Brandeis, argued that sunlight is the best disinfectant to ensuring that companies and governments act in the best interests of their customers and citizens. And I believe that insight is still fundamental to good public policy. If people can see clearly how decisions are made, by whom, and best of all, why, then those in the construction industry who make decisions are far more likely to be granted the autonomy to self-regulate their own behaviour. I don't think that's presently the case. We know that too often a veil of bureaucratic secrecy shrouds decision-making. Think, for example, of how it's proved impossible for a commission of inquiry to find out who in Victoria was responsible for actually making the decision to employ private security in hotel quarantine. Too often, decisions are hidden. Citizens, in my view, need to have free and unrestrained access to the information on the decisions on how a building was constructed, the products that were used, and who certified it. When it is known that decisions will be open to public scrutiny, you know what happens? Behaviours quickly adapt. Governments and administrators and builders and surveyors will soon apply to themselves the Sun-Herald test. How will this look if my actions were to appear on the front page of a tabloid newspaper? If there is clear visibility of how the National Construction Code is being implemented, there will be less need for regulatory interventions, less need for disciplinary action. Now, that transparency also requires record keeping. Design documentation needs to be completed and maintained in an easily accessible format, not just for independent regulatory oversight, but to provide a strong basis for post-construction building management. Number two, skill.
skills development. Regulation will always fail when only the regulators fully understand the regulatory code that they are oversighting. The key is that those who have to implement the National Construction Code, the builders, the designers, the surveyors, the engineers, the owners, fully understand the technical standards that they need to ensure and far harder comprehend the purpose and reason that has given rise to those standards. And that requires a couple of things. It requires the code and its amendments to be easily accessible and understandable, with its guidance being authoritative and unambiguous. And it also requires that those using the code need to be professionally trained in its requirements on a continuous basis. Compulsory training requirements need to be established for registration and continuing practice. If that can be achieved, the need for heavy-handed regulatory intervention to identify or remedy poor practice will be significantly reduced. The higher the level of professional competence in the construction industry and the more the execution of that competence is visible to the public, the lower the level of regulatory intervention that will be required. Number three, managing conflicts of interest. Now, let's be clear here. Public faith and confidence in building standards depends on trust that construction decisions aren't subject to conflicted practice. Ethics matters. You don't need a degree in law or a PhD in public administration to understand that private building surveyors are potentially placed in a conflict of interest with the builders and designers who provide their continuing flow of work. Private surveyors are not themselves the problem. Rather, the problem becomes manifest when governments and their regulatory authorities do not appear adequately to manage those potential conflicts of interest. In my view, the single biggest challenge in the construction industry is for regulators to oversight the conduct and decisions of those private surveyors with vigour. The surveyors need to be clear about the level of on-site supervision that is required whilst a building is being constructed, including on fire safety issues. And they need to ensure that an avowed performance-based solution is actually a carefully considered and innovative design decision and not simply employed as a post facto rationalisation of a construction that would otherwise fail to meet the code standards. Surveyors play a pivotal role. They are the cornerstones of public trust and confidence. Regulators need to ensure that they can be held answerable for the decisions that they take, responsible for the standards of construction that follow from those decisions and accountable for the consequences of those decisions. Fourth and finally, collaboration. We all recognise that collaboration is an amazingly collaborative effort. It is only through on-site teamwork that a building rises from the ground. The recognition of that building construction also, in my view, depends on cross-jurisdictional partnership. Regulation depends on partnership between Commonwealth, state and territory governments in the drafting and the implementation of the National Construction Code. 
And of course, it requires a good working relationship with local governments, given the continuing important role that local governments often play in oversighting building. Now, it's a couple of years since I wrote the report, and perhaps I suspect things are improving. And yet, I continue to discern that the collaboration and partnership upon which a successful building sector depends continues to be eroded by sometimes high levels of shared suspicion and lack of understanding of each other's crucial roles. Regulation works best when it is based upon mutual respect. Regulation needs to be informed by and sympathetic to the frontline experience that sits across the range of stakeholders who will be subject to its standards and its codes of behaviour. And regulation depends on all industry stakeholders recognising value in the public confidence that can be created by a well-regulated industry. If regulation is perceived by architects and designers and builders and engineers and fire engineers and surveyors simply as a regime of regulation and licensing and mandating and inspecting and disciplining, it is unlikely to operate successfully in the longer term. Far greater effort needs to be placed on developing and properly resourcing a collaborative approach in which the diverse range of stakeholder interests can be articulated and solutions properly informed. Now, let me be clear here. My ambition in advocating greater collaboration is not to soften or weaken implementation of the regulatory standards that are necessary to protect the public interest. Rather, my hope is that the standards can properly reflect contemporary and emerging building practice and that agreement can be reached on the most efficient, the most effective way to ensure that those evolving standards are fully met. We all know that to a significant extent, the quality of a building depends upon the foundations that are laid. And so too, the quality of a regulatory regime for the construction industry. As a former senior public servant, I learned often, I'd have to say, from my own mistakes, that four key pillars are required to build a successful regulatory regime. It requires transparency that allows the public to be assured that legislative standards are actually being enforced. It requires skills, education and continuing professional development of those who need to understand the regulation and to implement the standards. It needs the recognition and management of any potential or perceived conflicts of interest between industry stakeholders that might undermine public trust. And it requires the continuing and appropriately resourced collaboration across the sector stakeholders with the goal of establishing a common understanding based on shared recognition, the value that regulation can add to the long-term viability of the sector. I honestly believe that those four pillars will make the difference to whether the recommendations will in fact be properly implemented. Thanks so much for the opportunity to talk to you this morning.
That was the keynote address from Peter Shergold, one of the authors of 2018's Building Confidence Report on compliance and enforcement problems within the construction industry. For more information, or to view Peter Shergold's presentation in full, head to the VBA website. That's vba.vic.gov.au. This has been the third and final episode of this series of In Safe Hands, showcasing highlights from the 2021 VBA Surveyors Conference. To view any of the presentations from the conference, or to find more information about the topics and presenters from the conference, just head to the VBA website, vba.vic.gov.au.